Lord, we are hungry for you. We are hungry for more of the fullness of life that you said that you came to bring. We are hungry for more of your peace, for more of your love, for more of your joy, for more of your shalom filling not only our own lives, but this world. And Jesus, we thank you that as we come to you declaring our hunger and our thirst, our need, our weakness, our dependency, that that's not something that you resent, but that you welcome it and you welcome us with open arms and that you long to fill us with you, with your life. And so, Lord, we do pray, fill us now as we turn to your word and we eat of it. Would you strengthen our souls and would you quench hunger and thirst that we have that can only be quenched by you? We pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, it's good to be sort of with you again. Boy, this is a long separation and a difficult one. And yet our God so graciously binds us together in unity in him. And aren't we thankful for the ways that he does that by his spirit? So let's carry on. We're in the book of Ezra, and we're now at chapter 4, and our text for this morning is 4 verse 1 to 5 verse 5. I'm going to read the first and last sections, but I'm going to summarize the middle. So Ezra 4, starting at verse 1. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to the heads of the families and said, Let us help you build, because, like you, we seek your God and have been sacrificing to him since the time of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the families of Israel answered, You have no part with us in building a temple to our God. We alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, commanded us. Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and to make them afraid to go on building. They hired counselors to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Then Ezra details some opposition under Xerxes and Artaxerxes, other kings, a letter that was written to one of those kings slandering the people of Israel and talking about how rebellious Jerusalem was and calling for the building to stop. And the king sends a reply and issues an order that indeed the building ought to stop. And the text says, As soon as the copy of the letter of King Artaxerxes was read to Ram and Shimshai, the secretary and their associates, they went immediately to the Jews in Jerusalem and compelled them by force to stop. Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Edo, 
prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who is over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Josedek, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. At that time, Tatanai, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar, Bozani, and their associates went to them and asked, Who authorized you to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? They also asked, What are the names of the men constructing this building? But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply received. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, I had an experience yesterday morning that I'd like to tell you about. I was in the midst of uh, grieving and lamenting and interceding about much of the pain that has taken our nation by storm these last couple of weeks, just reflecting again on uh, the atrocity that occurred in George Floyd's death and and yet um, the the uh, pain that that has tapped into for people of color in our nation and the the pain of the radical division that seems to to be present in our nation and the polarization and uh, not not just the way that genuine protests are happening but that anarchy is a, attempting to attach itself to that and lawlessness and uh, just the way that satan is seeking to work off of pain and stir up rage and uh, I've been much in prayer the last couple of weeks, as I know that you must also have been too. And I reached this point where I wanted to turn toward my sermon yesterday, and I just was having a really difficult time doing it. And I, and I, so I talked to the Lord, and I sensed the Lord um, saying to me, "Just go for a walk and receive my blessing." And so I took a walk next door to Saint Anne's home. And I put the song that many of you will know called The Blessing, which is the the words of the number six ironic blessing put to music by Cody Carnes and Carrie Job, and um, just walked and listened and worshipped the Lord and received his blessing. And I reached this certain point on the walk where I was listening to the music saying, the, the, the worshiper singing, he is for you, he is for you, he loves you. And I just began to experience the, the heart of God for the world, the love of God. Tears just began to well up within me as I felt the, what I think is the pain in the heart of God as he so desperately longs to pour out his love in Jesus on this world that's so broken. And so I'm crying and I'm worshiping and I'm feeling the Lord's heart receiving this blessing all at the same time. And then I walk around the corner and all of a sudden the sound of a lawnmower who's mowing the property begins to grow louder and louder as it comes closer and closer. And then on top of the lawnmower, there comes this large garbage truck rumbling down the lane beside me. And before I know it, I can barely hear the words of the blessing and the worship. All I can hear is the roar and the roar. And I'm 
I'm reflecting on this and I'm thinking, the blessing hasn't diminished. The sound of the worship hasn't gotten any smaller, but oh, the sound of chaos around me has gotten large. And it hit me in that moment. This is our text. This is what's happening. Sustained pressure and discouragement lead to fear and inaction or being taken out by the enemy. So the noise that's caused by that pressure and that discouragement quench the encouragement, the voice of God, the blessing of God, and they lead to being taken out, effectively taken out by the enemy. So what's happening? We've got 50,000 people that have just made this 900-mile trek over four months from Babylon to Jerusalem. You want to talk about a migrant caravan. You can imagine all of the families and the the generations and the children and the grandchildren and uh, moving 900 miles for the first time in your life. Most of these people are coming back. They have grown up in Babylon and they're coming from the lowest point in Israel's history. You read the book of Ezekiel that's written to these exiles and it's just just atrocious how how much they've abandoned their God, how low they've gone, how they've prostituted themselves, they've become like the nations, and yet God's so gracious, he's calling them back, he's taking them back, and he sustains them over this 900-mile walk, and they reach Jerusalem, and they do the right thing, they build an altar to the Lord, they're going to offer right sacrifices that are pleasing to the Lord. They're starting afresh and there's joy. There's new joy. There's new hope springing up. And they begin to settle their homes, settle into the area around Jerusalem. And then the text says in chapter 3, a year later they come back and they're starting to build the temple foundation. Again, they're on the right track. They're doing the work of God. The kingdom of God is being renewed on the earth. There's going to be a place again, hopefully, for the presence of God, this temple. Things are looking up. And you could just feel it. Hope is growing in their hearts. And then right at this moment, where hope is springing up and they're on the right direction, boom, the enemy is right there to resist. And he comes in first with deception. Let us help. Let us, let us worship. Let us build this place. We've been worshiping the same God as you. And the enemy seeks to get inside to the place on the interior where he can just work chaos. And there is clear exercise of wisdom and of the discernment of spirits by these leaders. And they say, no. They recognize this ploy for what it is. And they say, "Uh uh-uh, and then the enemy shows his colors. And it says that he sets out to bring this like full-on, persistent, organized discouragement, attacks that bring pressure, that bring fear, that slow down, that resist. And I, I think about these people who've just made this long trek who are just resettling homes, who are trying to do the right thing. And I think, oh, they must be so discouraged. It's got to be so hard for them at this point not to lapse into some form of a victim mentality, 
to start asking, like, why? Why us? Why now? Why is this so hard? Why can't there just be peace? Why is God allowing this? We can't handle this, God. We're barely able to get our crops into the ground and to get walls up on our houses and to feed our kids. Why? And eventually, they succumb to the pressure. They succumb to the fear. They succumb to the people that are compelling them. And they put their tools down. And they leave the temple foundation. And the work of God on the earth in this place comes to a standstill. They are effectively worn down and taken out by the enemy. They are pressured and they are discouraged into fear and inaction. And friends, this is the pressure that every single Christian, every one of us faces from the moment God delivers us from the exile of sin, bringing us home to him. It's like we rebuild the altar. We come into right alignment with God through faith in Jesus Christ and we begin to worship Him with, with our surrendered lives that love Him, that respond with obedience. We become the temple, the house of the presence of the Lord as we seek to grow as those who embody His kingly goodness and the fruit of His Spirit. And immediately... The enemy of our souls sets his sights on us to bring sustained spiritual pressure aimed at taking us out of building the kingdom of God. So, catch this. He knows he cannot steal our salvation. The scriptures say clearly Jesus will lose none of his sheep, none that are given to him. He cannot steal our salvation, but he can damage our effectiveness. And history shows us he has been effective at doing that. That he has waylaid many of God's children through this sustained pressure and fear until they finally just put down their gifts. They put down their abilities. They cave into the pressure that's coming on them. And so, he it's like... Like, like in the text, this pressure can come against us from the unredeemed who make themselves easy pickings as in their unbelief and rebellion against God. Their lives are just sort of open for the doing of the will of the enemy of God, that is Satan, and they are just easy vessels or conduits for speaking against us, for raging against us, for bringing pressure against us, for whatever. But this pressure doesn't only come from the unredeemed. This pressure against us also comes from the unsanctified places of Christians, of our own brothers and sisters, of friends, family members, co-workers, living with parts of their hearts and their minds in bondage. And this sustained pressure against us even comes through the unsanctified places in our own hearts. Places of unbelief, places of 
woundedness, and it's in and through these places that the enemy of our souls applies pressure. And so there's many, many avenues or forms that this pressure can take. I'll name just a few of them here, but it's like the list is endless. And so it might be relentless criticism that comes against us, comes against our soul, comes against our mind. Could be people expressing skepticism of our lives, of the work that we're doing, the way we're using our gifts, the things we feel called to, the choices we're making. It could be sustained health difficulties that we've got to endure. It could be relational conflict. Oh, this is a huge one. How the enemy loves to work through relational conflict, relational pain, relational breakdown and stress to bring sustained pressure against our souls. It could be loneliness, lack of community. It could be pressure that comes through temptation towards sin. It could be pressure that comes through family members or close friends who are struggling deeply and it wears on us to care for them, to love them, to to want to help and sometimes not be able to, sometimes not be welcome to and there's a pressure that comes against us. It could be hurt and misunderstanding. It could be rejection. It could be weariness in doing good, constantly battling evil in the world and immaturity in believers. It could be unhealed wounds that we have, places where we've been abandoned, we've been hurt, we've been rejected, we've not been affirmed, we've, and the list goes on. And in those places, the enemy applies pressure. People of God, the enemy hates Jesus Christ, and therefore he hates us. And so he sustains pressure and discouragement. And the reality is that sometimes we succumb to it. That sometimes we find ourselves more or less taken out led to inaction or fear. We're not out of the faith, but we're out of action. We're MIA, as it were. We're, We put down the tools. We put down our gifts. We get discouraged. We get beaten down. We get weary. We're not sure. How do I sustain my home life and my work life and school and the work of the Lord? And I've got all of this coming against my soul, my heart and my mind. It's so much pressure. It's so difficult. And so we retreat. We put our tools down. We stop the work the Lord's called us to. Sometimes like Elijah, we might just want to run. You remember he ran and he hid in a cave. Ran away from his call. He ran because pressure came against him from the demonic through Jezebel. And he ran and he hid. And sometimes we do the same thing. Sometimes we do it. Sometimes we feel like doing it. This is what Israel's done. They've quit God's work. They're still his people. But his purposes for them and through them are standing still. And what does God do? 
God waits. He's patient. And then after a number of years, about 16, God graciously stirs on the hearts of Haggai and Zechariah to bring prophetic encouragement to his people. Be strengthened, for I'm with you. My spirit remains among you, he says. Don't be afraid. Through Zechariah, he says, whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye. I will surely raise my hand against them. In other words, God's saying, you, you, you're precious to me. You are precious and I will protect you. Get on with the work. Don't be afraid. Use, pick up your gifts, pick up your tools, go back to it. Be strengthened. And Haggai says, the spirit of the whole remnant of the people was stirred up, stirred up. They picked up their tools and they go back to God's work. And Ezra tells us immediately, don't we know it? They're met with another challenge. Who authorized you to do this? And there's this attempt to bring fear. Give us the names of the men who are building. In other words, your name is going to get written down and reported and you are going to be challenged. You are going to be in, in, in fear of being locked down and remo- losing your source of income and your job because you're building the kingdom of God. And it doesn't work this time. They don't succumb this time. They've not only been stirred up, they've been strengthened. They've taken the words of God onto the inside and they stand firm and the kingdom work goes on. God raises up prophetic encouragement to mobilize his children back into their God-given roles and identity. Let me say that again. God raises up prophetic encouragement to mobilize his children back into their God-given roles and identity. And friends, nobody does this better than Jesus Christ. Jesus who lifts up the heads and the hearts of all who come to him. He is the lifter of our heads. And when he lifts them and puts his hand under our chin, he speaks forgiveness. He ministers healing. He brings deliverance. He looks in the eyes and he assigns new purpose. But Jesus is also the one who sustained or who faced sustained pressure and discouragement all the way to the cross without wavering. He's the only one. And friends, Jesus gives us his steadfast spirit. This is a part of our inheritance. We don't have to work it up. It's in us. Jesus puts his steadfast spirit within us. And so Jesus right now lifts up our heads. Jesus looks into our eyes and Jesus asks, where have you been discouraged? Where have you been facing sustained pressure against your soul? And he ministers his encouragement. I am with you. I am for you. I am with you. I am for you. I am with you. I am for you. Be strengthened. My spirit remains within you. Do not fear. I protect you. 
Now pick back up your tools, pick up every gift I've given you, and build. Seek my kingdom, go back to what I've called you to, and be filled with my joy. But I believe Jesus also asks us a question. And the question he asks is, Do you have eyes to see those around you who have faced this sustained pressure, this sustained discouragement, and who are afraid and who are being taken out? Will you let the Father fill you with his compassion for them? Will you be a vessel of the Father's prophetic encouragement for them? Will you be one who stirs one another on toward love and good deeds? Paul says, be eager to prophesy. I wish that you all would prophesy. That you all would be those who would bring encouragement. You all would be those who'd have the eyes to see those around you who are, who are facing that same pressure, who are facing fear, who are facing discouragement, and who come with words from the Lord to bring strength and hope and to stir up and call back in and name gifts and move, help people move forward in the purposes that Jesus Christ has for their lives. Friends, we can only bring what we've received and are receiving. And so I'd like to end this way. I'd like to end with inviting us to all together listen to and receive the prophetic encouragement of the Lord through that song that I named in the beginning, The Blessing. I'm going to close this in prayer and then we're going to play that song and I'm going to actually encourage you not to sing but just position yourself to receive. Open your heart and let the Lord wash His blessing over you. Let Him renew you. Let Him strengthen. Let Him sustain. And let Him build up. Jesus, we love You. We love You, Lord. We love You, Father. We love You, Spirit. We thank You that You work all things toward our good, that nothing can separate us from Your love. And yet, Lord, we acknowledge that there have been those those sounds that have raise themselves above the blessing of your voice and your encouragement, caused us to fear, caused us to be discouraged. And Lord, we're asking, we're positioning ourselves right now in faith, and we're we're thanking you for your perseverance. We're thanking you for the way that you don't take your eyes off us. We're thanking you for your grace. We're thanking you that you continually come after us, that you call us back in and up and mobilize us and send us out, that you you always see us, that you always have encouragement for us. And we just simply respond by saying, thank you, Lord. We love you. We love you. We love you and we worship you. And now, Lord, we pray, wash over us afresh with the blessing. In the name of Jesus, amen.